Here we are in Luke chapter 24, Easter morning. And if you read in Luke chapter 24, Easter morning, you find out that the disciples were a mess. They were discouraged. They were disappointed. They were afraid of the men who had killed Jesus. They figured we could just as well be next on the list. They lived in overwhelm. They were the bunnies caught in the headlights of the car. They were powerless, ineffective, and stuck. By the evening time of the same day, all that had turned around. And at that point, they were excited about the future. They had a clearer understanding. They saw everything that had happened that had wiped them out in the proper context. And they understood. And they were thrilled to death. They had hope. Now, as I was looking through this and wondering, what do I say about Easter? I thought to myself, you know what? This is exactly relevant to the year 2021. Only the resurrection of Jesus from the dead enables us to understand what is going on around us and not be overwhelmed, not be fearful, but to actually be renewed, aware of what's going on, and established. So I'm reading in, in Luke 24 from verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. How the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. 
Certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scripture to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and it has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So we meet these two guys walking seven miles to some village called Emmaus. And they're overwhelmed. Does everybody get that? That means subject to incapacitating emotional or mental stress. You could say they had hit the wall and fallen over. And then, kind of like Wiley e. Coyote when he hits the bottom of the canyon. That's where they were. And they're trying to figure out what happened. Because they say he was a prophet. I mean, he was a prophet from God. Mighty indeed. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He raised the dead. This guy is incredible. He was from God. Only somebody from God can do this. And then he was mighty in word. He spoke about God, and nobody ever spoke like Jesus. You know, the temple priests sent guards to arrest Jesus. And Jesus is teaching in the temple, and the guards come back. The priests go, well, where is he? They go, nobody ever spoke like this guy spoke. What kind of an excuse is that? I told you to go and get him. Go, we, we, we couldn't. He talks differently. We couldn't arrest this guy. So mighty... Mighty. 
And he's so mighty, we thought he was going to redeem Israel. I mean, we thought this was it. And then they just killed him. Our own government betrayed us. They just worked to get Jesus killed. And more than that, they got away with it. It's like, what? He's from God? And they killed him? And they're getting away with it? And you know what? It's been three days. He's dead. Dead. D-E-A-D. What about dead don't you get? When you're dead, you're done. And that's it. There's nothing past dead. So, how in the world could you, sir, be ignorant about what's going on? What kind of a clonk are you? And then it gets crazier. Okay, like we had some women come in this morning, and they said that they saw angels, and the angels said, he's alive from the dead. And some of us even went out and checked it out. It's just like they said, but they didn't see him. So what's that? This is where they're at. Even if they get good news, it's... (laughs) What kind of pizza did you have last night? I mean, what is this? So everything's in the toilet. Does everybody get that? Now, they don't realize that Jesus is right there with them. This is one of the funnest parts of Scripture, don't you think? Because we know the truth. We know the truth. You don't even know what's going on. Don't you feel superior reading this? Why, I see that it's Jesus, don't you? This is one of the advantages of the resurrection. Did you know that? Because Jesus says, I'm always with you. And it's happening to them right now, and they don't even know it. Do you know what? Jesus is always with you, even though you don't get the tingle. He's still, he's with you. Now, Jesus cancels them. Did you notice this? That's one of the names for Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9. It's the second one. Right after wonderful, which means miraculous, that is the power of God come into human existence, the next name for Jesus is counselor. Isn't that interesting? Counselor, the guy who sorts you out who listens to you talk as you say anything that comes into your mind, and then he tells you where you're thinking badly and where you need to shape up. Isn't that interesting? He's doing it right now. And as a good counselor, have you noticed? He asks questions that don't attack you. Just so you know how to counsel people. Did you know you never ask somebody why? because that makes a person defensive, and they have to explain what they're about, and they go into defensive mode. So you never ask a why question. You always ask what. 
And that focuses things on the objective. What is happening? Remember this because you're going to counsel people. And you're going to remember, oh yeah, never ask why. Always ask what. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. He says, what kind of conversation are you having? And you're all sad and everything. What is this? And even when somebody turns on him and gets kind of growly, stupid, he doesn't lose his cool. He just says, well, what? What is going on? Isn't that interesting? Isn't he a great counselor? Doesn't lose his cool. Doesn't take it personally. You know, you can really ask Jesus for help, and you can let him have it. You don't have to be sanctified or nothing. You can actually say to him, well, if you're God, and you're in control of my life, why is this going on? You can actually tell him stuff and say, you know what? I think this stinks. What do you think? How do you want me to think about this? Or you can actually say, you know what? I'm upset. I'm hurt. I'm disappointed. I'm totally bummed. I don't think too highly of this person who just dumped on me. You can just dump it out. You don't have to pray in King James English. Oh Lord, thou knowest my heart that I am sore of affliction. Why don't you just be honest? Just talk to him like a person. God says, what, what's all that King James junk? Why don't you just talk like a regular person? Michael, what did he say? <laughs> He's a counselor. He can sort you out. Did you know that? He can solve your problem, and he can show you where you are off. Isn't that great? Here's where your bad math is. And you're adding up all the figures. One plus one, and it equals 11. Don't you see it? Jesus says, well, let's look at your mathematics here. Let's, let's figure this out. My, that is a big score, isn't it? 11. That's, I don't like that number either. Let's, let's look somewhere at what you're doing here. So isn't it interesting that when Jesus gets the whole picture and he listens to these guys, this is another thing about canceling. You listen. You don't jump on somebody and say, listen to me. Here's your solution. Just listen to them till they run out of steam. <sighs> kind of dump everything. And when they're done, then you slap them. <laughs> because that's what he does here. Do you notice that he doesn't say, oh, well, there, there, dear. And listen, life is like a Hallmark greeting card. And he doesn't sound, tell them some stupid trope. Into everyone's life, a little sadness comes. 
thanks for the counseling. Get out of here. But he does tell them what they need to know. And you know what they need to know? Is that you guys aren't thinking, and I'm surprised at you. Call yourself believers, do you? Don't you think that's an interesting way to meet what they're experiencing right now and all of their real disillusionment and discouragement and shock is to say, do you know what? You guys have quit thinking. And you have, you don't believe what the prophets said. Isn't that interesting? And then he comes out with this. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? You know, these guys are going by what they see and hear and understand. That's forgivable, isn't it? Isn't that how we deal with life? You see it. You think about it, you deal with it in your frame of reference, your grid for understanding things, and then you come to the conclusion. We're in the toilet. It's time to freak out. The coyote has hit the canyon floor. I'm entitled now to be snarky and upset. It's time to have a freak out. And Jesus shows them the proper way to evaluate everything that goes on around them. And that is through the grid of the scriptures. That way they're going to understand everything. It's the same events. Jesus got killed. The government betrayed us. Crazy women are seeing crazy things. Same facts, but in the correct grid of understanding, everything makes sense. So, do you notice in verse 27 that he begins at Moses and all the prophets and you can see in verse 44 that Jesus does the same study again, and it's the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Verse 20, or 44, do you see that? Jesus explained to them all things written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Well, you know, when you get done with that, you've got the entire Old Testament. And so this is not just a... Something that went wrong. This is the main plot. This is a theme which the whole Bible is about. And it boils down to this. 
Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? That's one way of saying this is the plot of the Bible. This is what the Bible is about. If you wanted to boil the Bible down to one sentence, this would be a sentence. So this is actually the main point of the prophets, of Moses, and the Psalms is to testify to this event that has just happened. Now, these guys are listening to Jesus just talk in a very detailed way about all the scripture. And it's blowing their minds. They have never heard anybody put all the scripture together like this before. I mean, everything just sort of right into place. And this is what Isaiah was talking about. This is what Jeremiah was talking about. This is what Ezekiel was talking about. This is what Moses was talking about. Here, here, here. And they're going, wow, this guy knows scripture. This guy is not a beginner. This guy is like, whoa. No, no man ever spoke like this man. What? They're breathless. And he also talks about certainty. Like, duh, of course this, this is what scripture is about, you guys. Nothing can change scripture, and scripture must be fulfilled. And this is the way the guy lives. It is not possible that these words from God can be written down and then preserved and protected, but then returned to God void and not happen. Kind of like, it fizzled. It didn't work this time. Well, let's try it again. You know, and, and maybe, maybe we'll have better luck in fulfilling the word of God this time. He says, you guys call yourselves believers, do you? How come you guys don't know or believe the word of God? And you know, this guy that they're listening to, they don't know it's Jesus, but what they're getting from him is that this guy is unshakable. He's confident. These scriptures are the clarity and the stability of this guy's life. Does everybody get that? And then they get this guy to stay with them for the night. And he says, okay. And he's breaking the bread, he's blessing it, and all of a sudden, it's Jesus. And they go, ah! And he's, they say, weren't our hearts burning within us? What kind of, a, what kind of a, an experience is that? You ever sat in, a, in a, a Bible study or a preaching or something, you just feel like, it's all for me. 
I don't know about anybody else in the room, but it's like God is talking right to me. That's what used to happen to me when I went to church when I was a kid. When I finally got into a Bible study where they taught the Bible, this was the one thing that blew my mind. Every time I showed up, it was like, this is for me. And it's like, there is no drug like this on the planet, folks. Nothing beats showing up to a Bible study where you know that guy teaching does not know anything about you, and yet it's all for you. How does he know that? I tell you to, to realize that there is a God in heaven who knows the secrets of men's hearts, and you're getting it, and it's not destroying you, it's blessing you. There's nothing like that. So they say, our hearts were burning within us. We, this is true. This is right. This is amazing. This is God. And they go, our hearts were burning within us. And you look at the difference in these guys. In verse 33, they get up right, right then, and they go back to Jerusalem. Now it's the evening. They've just had dinner. They were going to stay in the place for the evening. It's dark out there. That's when robbers and thieves work. Are they thinking about stuff like that? No. They walk in the middle of the night. They're going, boy, that was a rocking Bible study, man. Wasn't that hot? That's great. Can't wait to get back to Jerusalem. Thieves, robbers. Nah, not going to worry about that. Life is good. What happened to these guys, you know? But they're, they're excited. And they've got hope about the future. And that's not silly. Like one minute they're discouraged, and the next they have hope for the future. You know what? They know where they're going when they die. They know that death is not the end. They know it. So they just had their all eternity just open up in front of them. And life is completely different. So these guys are, what you would say, enthusiastic. They're excited. They get it. Now, you know, what made the difference was Jesus teaching them the scriptures, the very scriptures that they knew, but with this added benefit of Jesus teaching them. And so the combination of the two results in a new grid that says, okay, now I know how to look at everything in my life right now. So, isn't it amazing that the scripture clarifies who Jesus is? As far as they understood, he was a prophet from God. They got that far, but they learned that he is not a prophet. He is the Messiah. 
the one who will rule over all kingdoms. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Daniel chapter 7. He is the Son of Man. He is God. Now, this perspective, this grid, I want to suggest to you is the only way to look at life right now in 2021. In our techno era, as we live stream and got all our whizzy gadgets that by the grace of God are actually working today. And yes, we're almost in Buck Rogers territory. You can almost get those lightsabers at Argos. But you know what? This is still the only way to look at life going on around us. We're tempted to look at things with our own understanding what our eyes see, our ears hear, and especially on the worldwide interwebs, of which there seems no end to the kind of junk we can look at. And, do you know, we have real problems with what we see and hear, don't we? You get to the point where you think, I don't trust the big news media. You know, the BBC to me sounds like China. It, it, it sounds like George Orwell's 1984. This is what you are to believe. This is official party line. And I think, okay, the government is betraying us. They have fact checkers online who will fact check an article. And funny enough, all the fact checkers always find an article to be right or wrong depending on how it matches up with the official party line. Now the Bible says that all men are liars. So fact checking, what does that guarantee? One guy actually checked up on uh, a fact-checking organization called Snopes, which is a problem right there. It's an unfortunate name. But he checked up on them and found that they were, oh my goodness, they're biased. The fact-checkers are not transparent. They're biased. Well, that means that <gasps> they can say anything they want and call it a fact-check. And boy, if you say that they could be wrong, you know what that makes you? A conspiracy theorist. Oh, that's, that's worse than saying your mama wears army boots. You're a conspiracy theorist. Hey, you stop that. And I'm not, or so. You believe conspiracies. Hey, quit it. So what do you believe? What do you believe? Our government has voted itself emergency authority 
in this pandemic, and they seem reluctant to give it up. Isn't that interesting? They're trying to also get uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York to give up his emergency authority during a pandemic, and they're having a hard time doing it. In fact, the government likes to have broad powers of authority. They like it. It's fun. You can award your buddies lucrative contracts. And everybody gets rich. And then the government has borrowed trillions in order to pay for COVID pandemic bailouts. It's like, who's going to pay for that? Anybody in the government? What do you know? It's the common guys that are going to pay for it. So power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Government is going to keep doing what it's doing increasingly as time goes on. And then you look at the society around us. Everybody is hot and bothered about correcting social injustice. We have to correct racism. And there's a lot of, this is racist, and that is racist. And everybody's pointing fingers so hard, your eyes start hurting. And everybody is just absolutely outraged at injustice. But the interesting thing about it is, is there's no love. And so everybody fights back by bullying. And if, if you think they might be a little off, they fight back real hard. If you think that somebody may not be doing the right thing as LGBTQ+, they call you a homophobe, transphobe. They call you names. They bully you. See? So where's the love in that? There is no love. Society is becoming increasingly without love. Economically, there's not a lot to trust in. You know, the economy of the world is a house of cards, and all I got to do is go, and that's it. Governments almost, well, at a certain point, I was reading in the news, the EU developed their trillion euro COVID thing. At the same time that the United States was doing it, at the same time England is doing it, it's like everybody decided this is a great time to jump into debt. Let's put ourselves so much into debt that we'll never get out of it. I think it'd be, well, I'm not going to talk about what I think. All I know is they all did it at the same time. It's just interesting. And the world economy is even worse now than it was before. Okay, and then there's the health thing. Pandemic with no end. And the vaccines are effective. That's what they all say. All the vaccines work, but you better not go on holiday. Why? Because the vaccines don't work? Isn't that confusing? You know, thank goodness for the vaccines, but you better not go on vacation. It's like... And now they're talking pandemic 
vaccine passports. Now, that is the most intrusive, invasive thing that could possibly happen. And it's almost like they're looking for an excuse to jump on this to make everybody start doing the drill. You have to prove you've got this and it's, it has to be unfalsifiable. Because if anybody can falsify it, it's not going to work. So we're rapidly moving to this thing where we have to be able to prove certain things and it can't be falsifiable. It's kind of a noose around our neck. I mention all this because you could get very uptight about this. And you could give in to conspiracy theory problems and you could get really wound up as you see everything happening. Clickbait. But see, we have a grid of scripture. And this is how we view everything. And it begins with the resurrection of Jesus. This establishes scripture as the only safe way to look at everything that's happening all around us. Peter says in 2 Peter 1 verse 19, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Now those of you who are familiar with scripture know that it says that the love of many will grow cold and lawlessness will increase. So what do we see going on around us? Well, when you look at the grid of scripture, it's to be expected. And in fact, it's fulfilling scripture, which means we can know that the coming of the Lord Jesus is not far off. Jesus said that the world is going to be a mess before he comes back. The book of Revelation shows us there's going to be a one world government that controls all of its citizens and is anti-Christ. And we even see that now. The governments are becoming more anti-Christian. Now, the focus of Scripture at the present time is that Jesus must enter into his glory. Notice in verse 26 again. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? In the New American Standard translation, it says, it is necessary. Necessary. Must happen. Has to happen. It was necessary that Jesus suffer and die for our sins. But that is only part one of God's plan that he has accomplished. It's just as necessary that Jesus enter into his glory. Now, I'll let you be the judge of this, but I don't think 
that Jesus right now has entered into his glory. That is, he was raised from the dead in a glorious body. He ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God in glory. And that's actually as a forerunner for us so that we know we also will appear with him in glory, right? But Jesus has not yet entered into his glory because his name is still the most popular curse word you can use. When you really want to say something that has real impact, you use his name and nobody else. And it's safe to diss Jesus, ignore him, laugh at him. It's hip. It's cool. Ignore him. My own personal thought is Jesus only comes into his glory when the heavens part and all the world looks up and sees Jesus surrounded by the clouds of heaven, all the angels and all the saints in glory. And it says in Revelation chapter 1 that all the tribes of the earth are going to mourn. They're going to grieve. They're going to be sad. They're going to be overwhelmed. Why? Because Jesus is God. And he's appearing in glory. And there's no way to put spin on that. And as he comes to the planet, he is going to shatter all rule and a power and authority and government. And this way of life here, where you can oppress others weaker than yourself and extort money and build yourself up and treat people badly, that's over. It's the end of the world for people who don't want anything to do with God. That's why they're going to mourn. We're warning people, this is where it's going. But see, there's going to come a time when Jesus is going to be glorified to the point that every knee is going to bow before him. Of those in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth. Every single person who has ever existed in all creation is going to bow the knee before Jesus and say that he is almighty God. That is when Jesus comes into his glory. We're not there yet. Now, the interesting thing is that the first part of this has been accomplished in history. It is a historical fact. Did you know that? What we remember today is that death is not the end. That's what these guys learned too. They thought dead means dead, and dead means the end. And they learned, no, it doesn't. <laughs> and that's great, don't you think? 
Because you and me are also headed towards dead. Every single day, we get closer to dead. Does it ever hit yet? And you say, I am going to die. Does that freak you out? Where will you stand? What is for lunch? I don't know. (laughs) We're going to die. So it's a glorious thing to realize death is not the end. The Apostle Peter says that we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because he lives, all who live in him are alive. And because he was glorified, we also will be glorified with him. Now, because Jesus is alive, it guarantees that everything else is going to happen. And that means that it is necessary that Jesus enter his glory in history. Jesus was born during the reign of Augustus Caesar. And you can look him up in a history book. And he began his ministry in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. I mean, this stuff is part of history. It's woven into the fabric. Pontius Pilate really was the governor of Judea. And there really was a Herod on the throne. All these things are woven into the fabric of history, and they find stuff. Like they found a limestone stone with an inscription about Pontius Pilate on it. This stuff is the fabric of history. Jesus died in history, and he rose from the ge- again from the dead in history, which means that he has to come back in history. So maybe he was crucified in the reign of Tiberius Caesar, but he comes back in the reign of Boris Johnson. Maybe. I'm not setting a date. But doesn't that sound funny? During the reign of Boris Johnson, Jesus came back. And suddenly Boris is not headline stuff anymore. Or whoever it is. But that's the way it's going to read. During the reign of Joe Biden, Jesus Christ came back into history. Maybe. So that's why in our grid of Scripture, we plead with people to receive Jesus. This is why we keep going, even though some people are not receptive. We still do it anyway. Because if you understand this attitude and perspective of Scripture, that means it's everybody's last chance that today is the day of salvation, you don't even know if you have tomorrow. So our attitude is, whatever happens, this is your last chance. 
And then we don't go by what we see in here. We have to go by what Scripture says. And I want you to think about it in this way. When God was freeing Israel from Egypt, he sent ten plagues on them. And the ninth plague on Egypt was a darkness that was so dark you could feel it. That's what God said. So oppressive. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Obviously, lighting a candle was not an option, or fires, or anything. There was no light for three days. And I'm sure that must have been terrifying. No sun, no moon, no stars, no light. And it says that nobody left their house. And I can understand that. Stay where at least it's familiar. What if you go outside? You're going to find your way home? You're going to be lost. You're already lost at home. Who wants to get more lost? So here's this oppressive darkness. But it also says that in each of the houses of the sons of Israel, there was light. And it doesn't explain what kind of light it was. I don't think it was a nice roaring fire, you know, and mom and dad sitting in the armchairs around the fire. Or candles. There was light. Imagine the feeling of the Israelites when they're at home and there's light in their house, outside is a darkness that can be felt. On the one hand, it's terrifying. God has the power to turn the lights out, and he just did it. But then at the same time, we've got light. Fear and peace at the very same time. You know what? God is accomplishing our salvation, they say. And all we got to do is sit tight and stay in the house, and we have light. We're going to make it. God's going to accomplish everything that concerns us. Now, as we look at 2021, through the grid of Scripture, yes, we even have to do stupid lockdowns that mess you up mentally. But in each of our dwellings, we can have light. And here's the deal. We're not our hearts burning within us as he explained the scriptures to us. And there's the light. We have a light that is infallible, shines in the darkness, and will lead us to when the day star rises and the heavens split and Jesus comes back. So, this is how we want to look at life around us right now. And just realize, Scripture must be fulfilled. Jesus must 
enter into his glory. That means he must come back in history. And when we have this light and we look at everything in our lives through this grid of scripture, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? How shall I be discouraged? He must accomplish this word. He's going to accomplish everything for me. Does everybody get that? Let's pray. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father. That your word is a hammer that breaks rock and a fire that burns, living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Your word is spirit and truth. Thank you that it was necessary for Jesus to suffer and die in our place. Thank you that it is necessary that he enter into his glory. And we pray that, that Jesus would be at home in us. The Lord, the Savior, We pray that you yourself would teach us because that's in your promise. That's Isaiah 54. Great shall be the peace of your children because the Lord will teach them. So teach us to see like you see, to see your glory. And the fact that scripture must be fulfilled and you are watching over your word to perform it. We trust you this morning that you will accomplish everything that concerns us. Do that for us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.